Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the recruitment operating system. Vincere is the modern OS for recruitment and staffing agencies, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle and back office operations of executive search, perm, contract and temp businesses. Learn more about Vinny's stories on my exclusive interview with their founder on episode 43 of this podcast. If you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to manage your entire operations, visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Hello, Andrea Ross here, host of Talent Talk Asia. Now, in an exclusive three-part series with Kirsty Poltock, Managing Director at JAC Recruitment and also a company member of Women in Recruitment Asia, we follow Kirsty in her first 90 days of her career. Now, in this second episode, which is part of a three-part series, we follow her in her 30 to 60 days. Now, I really thoroughly enjoyed recording this episode. There's, there's just so many takeaways and strategies for either new managers transitioning to a new role, um, but also for recruiters that um, are maybe struggling with being consistent in their in their billings. There's some really great advice and some really good takeaways. So I suggest that you check this one out. Now, if you haven't checked out part one, then we suggest you do that, as well as episode 32, which is when we interviewed Kirsty when she was back working at Page Personnel, because I think it's really good to sort of understand her journey. Um, in, t- in typical Kirsty style, the pod will share her dreams, her vulnerabilities and goals for 2021 20, 20, and beyond. You do not want to miss this. This is what is in store for you today. I mean, my role now covers not just the finance side, it's like our HR policy, our learning and development policy, all these things that were were things that were, you know, well-oiled machines in my previous firm in 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 JSC. Yeah, we have things, but it's about reviewing and evolving them and and making sure they benefit everybody internally. And some I've just been exposed to to I can't even go through all the topics, but I've just been exposed to loads of topics that I would have just taken for granted at Page that now I can have an opinion about and think about and and um, review what will add benefit and what what really isn't worth investing in at this moment. And I th- it's quite actually refreshing. I kind of I thought I'd miss all the structure, but I kind of find not having some of the structure quite. Uh, re-energizing. Enjoy the show. Hey, Kirsty, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you, Andrea? I'm very well. Welcome back to part two of our three-part series, never been done before on Talent Talk Asia, of the first 90 days. How exciting. It is very exciting. I've already had quite a few people sort of looking forward to the first podcast and sort of waiting to hear what the second and third are going to be like. So I'm hoping we meet their expectations. Oh, of course we are. I think it's just good to do something a bit different, isn't it? Like you do an interview with someone every time, but then actually to actually follow someone over a sort of a 90 day period and kind of the ups and the downs. I think it's great giving people those strategies when they transition into different roles. It's kind of fun, right? It's a little bit different. So let me just do a quick intro. As I've mentioned in the introduction, for those that are tuning in to Kirsty's podcast for the first time, we suggest you check out her episode 32, which is her time at Page Personnel, and then head to part one of our three-part series, um, which I don't know what episode that is right now before listening to this one. 
So in part one, Kirsty, we discussed the transition from page to JAC recruitment, the priorities for the business, the growth plans for the future. In this episode, I followed you from the 30 to the 60 days or thereabout and see this as a real learning opportunity for individuals out there embarking on new roles and specifically within recruitment um, that can come away with tangible tips and doses of inspiration. So let's get into it. Um, so what so what have you introduced to the business at JAC that's now starting to be embedded that's kind of impacted the business? Okay, so I think probably one of the main things that I've looked at is specialization. So um, JAC overall, we've been quite a generalist recruitment firm. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. We're, we're specialists in a few teams, but overall quite generalist. So you'll have individuals working across a multiple of job types rather than just specializing in one area. Oh, so when they're, um, when they're, when they're generous across the job types, across all different industries, then what does, what does generalist yeah, look so, like? Then? So let's say if you work in our corporate services team, you yeah. would be supporting um, roles for HR, accounting and finance, legal, admin in any industry, Ooh, rather than gosh, let's say being true. an accounting and finance Ooh. specialist or an HR specialist. Is it any level? Think, Is it any sort of? level of that no it's there's no level so this is the evolution for our business so um, Mm. when we support a Japanese client a Japanese um, uh, company they really do want just one point of contact for the whole business and that's why our business has been relatively generalist overall we do have industry specialism so you might be the manufacturing specialist but then you would recruit all types of roles within manufacturing right so I mean we see good success from that with our Japanese client base but as we're looking to build out the MNC and the SME base in Singapore, my view is that those clients will expect us to be more specialized. So we're trying to go through an evolution now of of maintaining for our Japanese clients a more generalist approach because that works for them, but then also starting to specialize a little bit more so that the non-Japanese clients can get the added value from us. So that's a whole host of training, reviewing how we do our business development, reviewing how we position JAC. Um, For example, when I first joined we very much would sell JAC as an, a Japanese recruitment firm. Yeah. Um, ultimately, we are not going to sell ourselves as that moving forward because we're not. We actually make a lot of our money um, from international clients, non-Japanese clients. Um, so there is that huge opportunity, but it's about re-educating not just the market, but also ourselves about how we can add yeah. value. How successful were the consultants that were generalists because I think oh, it's such a tricky job to be able to do accountancy roles one minute, HR the next. Like I know that relationship with the one contact is great and that you're kind of the account manager for that. And I see that so many benefits to it. But how did they did they end up just focusing on certain roles in the end? When you no. do do a gen- they were literally no, they're literally traits. doing a bit of everything. It's really quite fun, and 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 quite a lot of them have had serious success and are very mm. good at sort of pivoting right. between all those sort of areas. I think our, them, you know my view is we need to move our business forward in terms of. Um, you know, obviously maintaining our Japanese client base, but also looking at the non-Japanese client base and increasing the average fee that we're placing at. And I think if we need to do that, we also need to look at becoming more specialized, which means that over time, our people will need to be focused on one particular area like accounting finance or HR or legal, just because otherwise we won't compete with the other firms. And our, our plans are pretty substantial. We want to compete with the largest firms in Singapore by 2025. 
Um, oh, I can't wait to hear more about that. that in a second. Oh, I know. Way it's more exciting. about that. So if I'm hearing you right, the consultants that have been generalists that focus on the Japanese market will stay doing being a generalist. And it's more your focus for the non-Japanese corporates that you will then yeah. ad- ad- um, put in a specialist model. Yeah. And, and it is it is still in its infancy, if I'm honest mm. with you, because I still have to understand how does that work for a Japanese client? Because even on our Japanese side, we're looking at how do we increase our average fee? Um, but over overall, moving to a specialist model for a Japanese client will not work for them. We, we will alienate that population of our client base. So we won't do that. But then you've also got to be able to do the MNC and the SME side. And some consultants work on both Japanese and SME and MNC clients. So how do they so feel then? Yeah, how are they going to feel? How are you, how are you going to work that then, that they're going to be kind of specialist in one area and then generalist in the rest? I mean, we are definitely working through various scenarios right now. It's not yeah. a finished uh, plan. Yeah. I think by the end of the year, we will look to have all the specialisations we need in place ready for next year. But it's also an evolution of, of trying to make sure that we're playing to people's strengths. So those people that have been fully generalist and working across multiple job types, trying to figure out where is their strength so that when we yeah. specialise with them, they can work to their strength. Um, I mean, some some people, it's quite obvious where they like to place. <laughs> um um, but for others, um, you know, they really are quite broad. And and my view is before we really go out and sell that we're a specialized function, we first need to build our candidate base so that we can present something with specialism. Um, and, and that's the biggest uh, focus right now is building out that candidate base. So I want to I want to go on to that in a second in terms of that candidate base. When you started, when you first came in and you looked at the specialization versus generalist model, Were you sort of, you know, what were you feeling at that stage in terms of kind of coming in and giving those ideas and wanting to make that change? Were you nervous about it in terms of, you know, how people would feel about it? Did you sort of have to think about, was it a timing thing? Did you need to get support internally before you start pushing it? Like, talk me through that sort of decision making. Um, I think, first of all, it took me a little bit of under t- uh, time to understand why we were generalist in, in quite a few areas. There are a few areas that were specialist, but most areas of the business, we've been generalist. And I think for, for if in the first instance, I almost came in and thought, well, why, why would this be the business model? That doesn't make sense to me. Um, but that that was a bit naive in terms of taking what I'd worked with in my previous firm and thinking, well, that must be how all businesses yeah, should yeah. work. If Pope Which, did it, it must be right. Yeah, kind of yeah. thing, right? So, yeah. yeah, it was naive. And when I actually dug under uh, into the detail, it absolutely is the right way to work for a Japanese client. And if right. we're looking at the Very fact that seventy percent of our revenue comes from Japanese clients, be it we're placing Japanese candidates or we're placing locals into those roles, ultimately seventy percent of that revenue stream is coming from clients that want to interact like that so only 30 percent is coming from the non-japanese side so there's a there's a period of adjustment because specialization is is a little bit scary to people that haven't specialized before they think maybe something is going to be taken away not that something is gained and my job right now is to really equip everybody so that when we're fully specialized everybody is equipped to maximize their potential as they go into that specialization if i if i just went right from august 1st we're all specialized it would not be successful because we wouldn't have built enough of a candidate database in each area and we wouldn't have targeted enough of the clients that we need to make that successful. So when I'm talking about this being evolution, it is a six-month project to get to where I want it to be for next year. But that's absolutely the goal because that is how we will not only grow our Japanese side, but we will also grow our non-Japanese side and we'll start to compete with the larger firms in Singapore. 
What's your what's your strategy at trying to convince, and I mean that in a non-manipulative way, what's your strategy at convincing those recruiters that there is value to specialisation? Because you just said that then, you know, people will naturally feel, especially when it's change, you're taking something away as opposed to gaining something. So what has been, and it may, be, may well be a learning process and still going on for you, how are you trying to convince them that it, that it is a positive thing? I mean, they're not completely foreign to specialization. There are industry specializations in certain areas of the business, but not sort of functional specialization. So the functional specialization is a new, it's a new area for individuals in JAC. And I think I've been quite transparent that I believe that's where we need to go as a business to achieve our goals for 2025 and beyond. Um, So I've not hidden behind that, but I've also talked quite candidly with the managers and I've had one-to-ones with the consultants to talk about the journey that that will take and Mm. that it won't be forced immediately, that we will build the skills, we'll do the training so that they're equipped to build out their candidate base so they know how to target their clients, they can onboard those clients. Because right now, I think... There's, there's some gaps in the training. And I think if we bridge those, people will feel much more confident about going into yes. this. And, and yeah. my view is, look, it'd be great if we could do it now. But if everybody's feeling unconfident and that they're not able to fulfill the requirements to the standard that we need to, to be specialized, then yeah. I'd rather just wait and build the building blocks and then yeah. get to a point where everybody's sort of bought in. So I don't think there's a lot of nerves or, or discord about it. I think it's just more... Everybody wants to feel equipped and I want to equip them to get there. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. You mentioned before about the candidate growth side, and that's obviously needs to be a big focus for you if you're going to move to that specialist model. What are you doing to go to to be able to focus on that and achieve what you want to do on the candidate um, generation side? So what I've been looking at with each manager is more, you know, where is our success? Where is where is the success we've had in terms of um, highest placements, but also in terms of the volume of jobs we've had? Um, and I've also, we're also mapping out in the market where the certain job types that are consistently coming up. And then we're delegating to consultants to build a candidate list, a hot mm. list of, of, of X amount of candidates, depending on your market, um, at certain salary levels that we could then go out and be proactive with. I'm kind of building our shop, basically. We want our product on our shop. So we yeah. don't have it yet, or yeah. we have some of it, but not enough. Um yeah. We want to be in a position where when we've when we're really specialized, we can turn shortlists around of four to five candidates in 24 hours for most roles, unless they're niche. And, and that's the journey. When you were looking back on those first or sort of 30 days, and it seems probably a long time ago now. I remember when we were talking about your I remember you messaging saying, you know, it's my first day or, or the Friday before you started. Right. It seems like a really long time ago. It does. Um, but so if you're looking back on that now, would you've done anything different at all? If so, why? I don't think I would have done anything different from how I interact with people, but I probably would have had a lot more confidence in myself. Um, I think I kind of lost two or three weeks in the beginning just because I was nervous and I sort of sat there and thought every few few minutes, right, what, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Maybe they don't like me. Maybe I'm not the right person. And I spent so much time worrying about that, that I I didn't absorb as much as I could with regards to the business. And I think, you know, I've come from an environment where 
Um, it was a brilliant company, but I kind of felt like my success was down to working for that organization and it may not have been due to my natural talent. And I think in moving, I've realized that I'm actually stronger than I thought I was. And I don't mean that arrogantly. Uh, it's just refreshing to believe that I actually have an ability um, to run a business, to engage with people, to bring people together um, that isn't related to a brand. It's, it's my brand. That's That's pretty exciting. So I feel like I would have just tried to give myself a little bit more confidence or when I was having my moments of insecurity, I would have just given myself a sensitivity check. Um, I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means, but. No, but um, I think that's really interesting. I think that's really, really interesting because I know, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to someone, I have been talking to someone recently. I'm I'm certainly not going to mention her her name on the podcast, but she's just moved from a a major house and moving to a boutique. And it's the same thing. It's it's those kind of, oh, gosh, you know, do I, do I have what it takes to do that? Am I going to be able to do it? Am I going to get frustrated that things don't go as, as smoothly as we as I'm used to from the old firm? And it's not going to be a structure. It's not going to be any of this. And it's you don't know what you know until you, you're into a different situation and you realize, you know what, I've done this. This is I've got this. It's OK. But I think that that's why it's, it's so important for people to even if they're in organization now and doing well is to always be aware of what your capabilities are and what your strengths are because it isn't always about the brand right it isn't always about that I know for some of the bigger brands that's how we you know we sort of brainwash people to stay longer it's kind of what's the database you know the reason why you work for us is you've got a great client base and a big database why would you move anywhere else is that kind of brainstorming in it and you, and you actually don't necessarily think about long and hard about your own capabilities and that what keeps you there a lot of the time right so yeah. I think it was lovely that you and, and I think that gives me a, a moves me into the next question, which is kind of the financial aspect of going from page personnel, where I'm sure you've got a whole, you know, huge team of finance people that were doing everything for you. Um, Because I know it's certainly the case for me at Robert Walters, thank God, because I can't count for shit. But um, so you moved over to JAC. How was that in terms of learning the whole financial aspect, the P&L and kind of, was it the same? Was it the same sort of format? Did you have, you know, what was that like for you? It was completely eye-opening. Was it? I, I thought that at Page, um, I was managing a PL and I really understood the finances and I understood how to drive profit. And, and I felt like I was really in the detail. I used to get my monthly report with all my financials in it and my expenses and my spends and my profit. And I was like, oh, yes, I'm really running this business. But yeah. that was really as far as, as my remit went with, with the right. P&L. I got here and um, JSC is a bottom line profit business, whereas right. Page is, is driven by top line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's really different. Um, yeah. And and so a business like Page um, will, will, in certain situations, you know, try to have a bit of patience and, you know, over invest and maybe cause themselves a loss um, for a, a mid to long term plan. Yeah. But in a bottom line business, that's not the way things are run. It's very much about driving profit all the time. And it's one of the things that JSE has been successful about, uh, not just in Singapore, but across the globe is it is a highly profitable business and and, and it's run very astutely. Um, And that doesn't mean that uh, that we're not willing to spend money at all, but it's you're questioning and thinking about the ROI of everything you're spending. And and that was a really big difference for me um, because 
suddenly I was exposed to actually looking at things from the bottom line. So for example, in my previous firm, you would get an average um, cost for every employee. So it didn't matter what the salary was, the average cost was X, right? Well, and what, that was, was how- that, you, Was that because it was across the whole office and you weren't necessarily seeing everyone's- Yeah, everyone's so and you had recharges. Yeah. And so it was just easier, I think, for everybody to just say, right, the average cost for your, your right. each person you have, each yeah. fee earner is X, right? So yeah. it was a very simplistic model. Whereas yeah. now I obviously work with the salaries of my current people, the incentives, you know, what we're doing in terms of in, um, entertainment, et cetera, and, right. and really digging down into the detail. And I'm super lucky that um, our CFO um, has had go a on, lot mention of patience. Him. Go on, mention him so we can Steven, tag him on our Stephen Blundell. Yeah, he's What's his wonderful. name? Stephen Blundell. And, Stephen um, Blundell, well done. Thank and you for Vivian, helping us, Steve. Vivian brilliant. Gann. Um, they're brilliant. So they've spent... <laughs> hours literally hours with me but is Um, there a specialization right I think sometimes you know when you're going into that leadership role it's not about knowing everything and you've come from an organization that has support has helped you with that and now you're coming and looking at it different business you're not always going to know exactly that's your learning curve isn't it that's what you're no I mean I'm yeah I'm very thankful and and honestly I actually thought I was quite good with this and then I got I got into JSC in about two weeks and I was like, I actually know nothing about this. This is really <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah, but now you look um, back on that, you must be thinking, wow, I know exactly how to drive that productivity now, right? Now that you can actually yeah. see what it looks like without and I anything think it, being held back. I think when you really understand the why a business is run by bottom line, then some of the yeah. other decisions that are being made become very, very clear as to why they're mm. being made. Whereas when I first got here, sometimes I'd question things and be like, well, in my old firm, it was like this. And why wouldn't you spend that or do this? Yeah. Um, but now I'm like, oh, no, I wouldn't spend that because actually yeah. I'll wait and I'll do it here. And yeah. I have other ways that I can do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been really interesting. And I'm really thankful that I've had that input. And I would definitely recommend anybody who I mean, look, I'm not a finance person. I'm terrible no. at maths. Me, so me I really need the support. I constantly have a calculator even to do basic calculations. Yeah, me too. I'm um, not, but I'm not afraid. I, I realised a few years ago I wasn't going to be afraid to say that. I'm absolutely yeah. fine to say I'm not great at that. That's okay. I think we have yeah. to be really honest and know these are the things we're good at. These aren't. But you have gone and got support from others that are specialists in it, and that will help you on your journey. And that's what you know. Was there any other things that you felt when you came on board that you needed, you know, to have other support to to help you through, you know, that role? Was there anything else that came up? I mean, my role now covers not just the finance side, it's like our HR policy, our learning and development policy, all these things that were were things that were, you know, well-oiled machines in my previous firm Mm. in, in, in JSC. Yeah, we have things, but it's about reviewing and evolving them and, and making sure they benefit everybody internally. And some, I've just been exposed to, to, I can't even go through all the topics, but I've just been exposed to loads of topics that I would have just taken for granted at page that now I can have an opinion about and think about and, and, um, review what will add benefit and what, what really isn't worth investing in at this moment. And I th- it's quite actually refreshing. I kind of, I thought I'd miss all the structure, but I kind of find not having some of the structure mm. quite, uh, re-energizing yeah and refreshing I suppose yeah. you, because you're used to one way of doing things right there's a certain brand there's a you know how it all and you've been you know there for 13 or oh, 17 years wasn't it was it 17? 15 years 15 almost years. 16 years right so that's a long time of kind of you know talking the same talk in a way and now you get to do that you have the 
responsibility of paving that your way, which I think I think I think is a lovely what a lovely experience. So, and what 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 areas are you concerned about in the business that may prevent you achieving those numbers? Is there anything that you're really sort of going, you know, that's one of my priorities, but I'm scared we, we may not get there? Is there anything that's the, that's sort of that you you've got um, as a bit of an obstacle right now? Not, I'm not scared of it, but it's definitely a concern hiring. I need to hire yeah. more people. And I've already hired a lot of people, but I need to hire more people. And um, I'm, not, um, I'm not scared of it, but to get to the kind of numbers that I want to get out of 2022 and 2023, I do need to get people on board. So how, many new, um, how many people have you got to hire and by when? So I need to hire six more people. And ideally, I would want them starting by latest Q4. I've and, already and hired area. eight. Oh, you've um, hired eight already. Blimey, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Do we know who they are yet? Are they like confirmed? Haven't seen anything on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll see soon. You'll see soon. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're hiring people anywhere from sort of senior con, principal con to manager level. So all different levels. Um, the functions? key areas that we're looking to invest in are healthcare, um, banking, um, and our tech business right now. Those are the key areas. Tech business. Um, God, it's like gold dust, isn't it? Trying to find yeah. people in tech. Well, I'm uh. open to people that don't have expertise in those areas. I'm just looking for good recruiters right. who want to, you know, are happy to do business development and want to go on the journey that we, we're well, going on with JSC. That's probably why you're finding it a challenge because you said the words want to do business development. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie about it. We, we need people that are going to want to do business development. And actually, yeah. some of the people that I've recently hired and also some of the people in our business are actually really passionate about business development. So I know there are oh, people out great. there. Um, and I've been really excited by how many people actually, when I talk about it, I'm not talking about complete cold calling, but yeah, this is not somewhere where which it's just going to be account constant management. account management. You've got to go but, out and get it. But I think that's one of the hardest things. I mean, I say out of all my e-learning courses, the BD one is the most popular because I think it's an area that people just don't tend to want to, they, they are quite nervous about going out and getting new business and what that looks like. So it is, you know, it is um, an area that people get a real challenge on. So what are you going to do differently then on that hiring side? What do you think that, what's been going well for you that has resulted in you hiring that, those eight people but what do you think you need to do more of to get you um to achieve those numbers mm. so what's been going well I think you know I've taken a lot of ownership for the hiring process so far so everybody that we get through they'll have a first interview with me and that's more just so I can set the tone for what JSC is about and what we're trying to do with our vision and just give a consistent message because I yeah. found even though maybe some of the people I've interviewed, it hasn't been right for them. They've then referred me some fantastic people oh, just gosh, because they good. were brought into the the journey that we're going on to. So yeah. referrals have been actually quite, quite important. Um, referrals from people that have recently joined, referrals from people that have interviewed. Um, I think we've put a lot more content out on social media. We've done some posts on our LinkedIn page mm. and I've done some posts um, just really starting to change the conversation so that people are starting to think, oh, JAC, interesting, yeah. not yeah. the Japanese recruitment firm we thought. Yeah. And they're going through this evolution. It's people intrigued by it, doesn't it, that they want to kind of have a chat. When you said referrals, do you have a candidate referral scheme at JAC? Yeah, we do. We do. So we have a payout, you know, for different levels, consultant, senior con, principal. Oh, do you? So that, yeah. so dependent on the level of the people coming in, you're, do you pay after probation or when they start? Mm, I pay uh, a bit 
at three months when they pass their probation and another bit at six months. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, it's it's decent. Yeah, they can make some good money just Are through you able to preparing. say how much it is? I mean, you, we can find out because, I mean. It's, some... it's depending on level somewhere between two and 5K. That's Actually, that's bad. really good. That's really good because I'm having discussions with some recruitment firms at the moment and we, we were talking about numbers and what I've heard from other recruitment firms. Some are as low as 300 bucks and others are – kind of two three and I think at Rob, I think at Rob Waters we would go up to about five for a certain yeah. level so yeah I think because people have got to be incentivized to spend their time selling your recruitment firm versus sourcing a candidate for a role right you've got to kind of make sure yeah. that it is incentive or else people just won't bother as, as, as you know not everyone is bought into 100%. having to grow right so it's quite 100%. important um Talk me through how the last 60 days have been at shifting JAC from predominantly a Japanese-focused client portfolio to offering a full suite of services across non-Japanese corporates. Coaching provides the space for professionals to take time to hit the pause button, reassess, make decisions, commit to new action and move forward with clarity. To enjoy a 10% discount on our coaching programs, reach out and quote the word talent. The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the recruitment operating system. Vincere is the modern OS for recruitment and staffing agencies, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle and back office operations of executive search, perm, contract and temp businesses. Learn more about Vinny's stories on my exclusive interview with their founder on episode 43 of this podcast. If you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to manage your entire operations, visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Probably a bit early to say that we've completely pivoted oh, to non-Japanese no, client. Yeah, no, I'm sure. um, but, but I think, you know, um, the last 60 days, yeah, I mean, it's been positive. We've got all the right foundations in place. The new hires we've got are going to support that expansion out to drive more revenue. So the goal is eventually that we'll have more of like a 50-50 split. So Japanese, it's not that we're going to lose our Japanese revenue stream, it's that yeah. we're going to increase our non-Japanese revenue yeah. stream. So um, I think we've got the right people on board. We just need more. Um, we're starting to see those specializations come through. We've got some training in place. I'm running training, not just for Singapore, but across the globe right now in terms of business development focus and job control. Um, mm. So overall, I think it's been pretty good. Um, it's the foundations. And and so I'm not, I'm not going to be overconfident and say, you know, we're absolutely on track right now. The measure will be probably in Q4 when we start to get those yeah. measurable goals of how many new clients we're bringing on board. This quarter is more about building the structure still. It's interesting when you're saying about kind of, you know, being able to shift shift, and then look at the different um, split between Japanese and non-Japanese, just from a KPI perspective and how to measure consultants. When you first sort of walked into the business, were there certain metrics that were being used that you would have looked at and done differently now because you're trying to focus on new business and diversifying? Has that been a, you know, has that been something that's been at play for yourself? So yeah, when I what was pleasantly uh, um, pleased to see when I came on board was that there wasn't like 
10 different KPIs that everybody was working towards, right, which okay. I absolutely hate. <laughs> it was a little bit easier um, than, than what so you that's good. We, we had three and they were all quite candidate and job focused. So we had candidate meetings, um, CV sent and um, interviews. Okay. So that's right. good. It definitely drives flow on jobs and, and there's a good traction between if you get a certain level of interviews per head, um, you will get to budget. Um, each month if you've got a certain yeah. in- interview per head per week, um, which I liked. I like that focus, mm. which is on the outcome. But I felt that it it, it was missing more around the client meeting or, or, or business development side. Yes. Now, I haven't implemented KPIs related to that yet because I'm still equipping people to get to the point where we're then going to have targets on BD and client meetings each week. Um, but the goal is that by Q4 at the latest, we'll have those uh, measures in place. Um, at the moment, what I've done is I've increased the number of interviews we focus on just to try and get a better conversion out of the jobs we've got. Oh, we've interviews actually got a, that cl- candidates interview with clients, CCs. Yeah, interviews so. with yeah interviews with clients, and um, that's the one area focused on. But so what were time, they? We're, what was the number? And what were you trying to get it towards? There were there were three per person per week. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't bad. Yeah, it's kind of um, but, st- actually that's pretty standard across some of the recruitment firms. Actually, is three a week. Yeah. yeah. So what are you trying um, to get it towards? Now the goal is four, and eventually I want to get it to five. We're actually yeah, consistently hitting four now, which is really great. And I've got like a few little incentives across the office to make it a bit. Fun. Tell me about that. You know, I love a good incentive. Like I'm just I'm high on that competition, beat another person in the office. You know, feel great, <laughs> love it. Um, so tell me, um, what kind of incentive have you put in place? Because I think it's really good for people in other firms, whether it's recruitment or not, or in a sales environment. Just you know, what are you doing to, to drive behaviours, drive outcomes? I'd just love, I'd love to hear if you, if you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah, sure, sure. I'm a massive fan of an incentive. I kind of just think, right, you know, um, they, they always push for extra performance. And, yeah. you know, we've got um, a step up in our budget for H2. So, you know, to drive towards that, we want something nice. that's extra motivational. Yeah. So what have I said? I've set an office um, target. So if we hit our budget for Q3, we're going to have an office celebration hopefully pending covid you know <laughs> yeah, it uh, might be a virtual one no it won't it won't it will be a face-to-face one we're, yep. we're feeling positive yep. we've seen that there is like some dinner cruises so our goal oh is that we all God, get to go on a dinner cruise oh, and have nice. like drinks and like you know that um so that's our kind of goal obviously yep. we're hoping that sometime in q4 we could do that so that's like our big vision for the office and i how just did think you go about before you go on tell me about how did you go about deciding on the actual incentive the actual trip or the you know who was it just yourself thought oh that's what people want did people have an input is there a social committee like talk me through that bit I don't have a social committee but I do think next year I will want to have one I actually just did this myself and then spoke to our CFO and and to a deal and just sort of weighed up you know what do you think would be relevant Mm. and I think most people would quite like to get off the island in some capacity. Oh so getting on a boat would be yeah. great. Let's make sure there's yeah. no one on the boat that's been at any KTV lounges. For, yeah, potentially. For, yes. <laughs> but if anyone's listening that's outside of Singapore, you won't know what that means, but you just have to look it up on the internet in Singapore. But so the so the incentive is so they've got a number that they've got to hit for as an office, three. right? So it's not right. about their team. It's about collaboratively as an office, can yeah. we get to that number? And I think that's important for me because the number for Q3 is, is a step up from Q2. Mm-hmm. And I want to create something that sent, that is a sense of achievement for all of us together. Like um, it's collaborative, it's teamwork, it's not individual targets. So no. what you've done is you've not gone down the route of individually, you, you've, you, you've, you've done it so that everyone's got to be able to share and help yeah. each other get there. Yeah. 
I think, I mean, um, yeah, I think that's, I really buy into those kind of mm. uh, incentives. And I also think, you know, we've spent so many months outside of the office and, and not connecting. If there is an opportunity that we can work towards an event, even if we have to do it in November or December because of COVID yeah. regulations, just the opportunity to be able to yeah. earn a, a social engagement with our people yeah. and just have a bit of fun and relax. I, I think totally, that's really totally exciting. I, I think that's probably what got me to stay so long. One of the reasons is it, for Walters was just the events and the quarters were just so great to catch up with people you work with. If you've got yeah. people you get on really well with and you can let rip, get dressed up, the girls would take the afternoon to get their hair done and their nails. The guys would be going out getting their best shirt on. It's just, there's such a buzz in the office when you've got something to look forward to. I love stuff like that. I think it's, I think sometimes we, we don't put so much emphasis on how important that is, but God, it is important. Um, the, the other stuff, I have two other yeah. things that I'm running yeah, right please. now. So that's the team, the office one. Yeah. Um, then, um, you know, last month we were, you know, we, at the end of the quarter, we were looking at, you know, obviously driving to, striving to book deals as quickly as we could, you know, drive extra conversions. So I put a focus on if a job was picked up that month and placed that month, you could earn a Takashimaya voucher. So just oh, wow. trying to so it's picked up a job in the month and actually closed it. And is there mm-hmm. different, so will it, so, so sorry, it was a Takashimaya voucher if they were able to turn that round in a month. I love the incentive. I'm going to be, I'm going to look at it in a different way as well in that wouldn't contract get more out of that incentive than the PERM team. Mm. So this was focused on PERM, not on oh, contract. Oh, it was PERM, yeah, right. It okay. was on PERM. I was going to yeah. say contract would be getting, like, we'll be down at Takashimaya. <laughs> yeah, all the time. <laughs> everything. I'd be like paying this <laughs> everywhere. Um, okay. I really yeah, like that. Then, I really like But when you've put that in place, what's gone on in terms of the training before that? Because it's all well and good, right? Put an incentive in place, but people need to know how, you know, how am I going to do that? You know, it's not just about sort of dangling a carrot and going off you go. What yeah. have you then had to do internally to get them skilled up to be able to do that? Achieve so that? I, around that time period, I did a job control training for the whole office, which was around, you know, categorizing your jobs by 80, 50 or 20 percent or tier A, B, C, B, C, depending on how your business does it. And just looking at the actions of how you move jobs up in that area or when to stop working a job. I think we had we had a focus where we just want to service everything. Everybody wants to do everything for every client, but it was actually wasting some of our people's time. So just giving them that sort of viewpoint of like, you know, you at some point, if the client isn't totally committed, then you can you know, agree not to work on that job and move to someone that's actually going to convert to revenue. So we actually did a few things like that. And then I, I did some training with the managers about the follow-up and how we could work with the consultants and the principal consultants to make sure that things were passing through in that sort of vein. So I did two bits of training there. I love, um, I love to, that. I think that's a real big, I think that's a really, a really good thing because I think sometimes people can work on jobs and think, well, it's a job, I've got to work on it because it's been given to the client, but actually they're not pushing back on any of those kind of requirements. So what you're saying then, if I'm hearing you right, so we're giving good feedback to people listening was um, categorizing those roles in terms of ABC, depending on it might be the relationship you've got with the client, whether they come back quickly or not, whether terms and conditions are favorable, whether there's a recruitment, um, whether it's a master vendor in place or whatever, all those things make a difference, right? In terms of whether you should, whether they're an ABC account, right? And being able to make sure that they're asking certain questions to qualify them as to whether they work on them or not, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and I think the managers to drive that. Yeah, right. and it and it and it's worked. I think what's great to see. Yes, that was an incentive for last month, but even this month, people are talking me going like, right, this is how I'm moving my jobs from here to here, and I've not got that incentive running this month um but I've embedded something that people are already focusing on yeah and it's about the managers constantly talking about it right okay so is that an a job a b job where's that move now so why is it an a job and why is it why is it an a job and you and you've got no interviews for it (laughs) like like that kind of thing right yeah I love that um one thing I want to get onto is kind of the relationship you've got now with your managers because obviously you came in not sure um, you know, you didn't know anyone before and trying to build those relationships, getting them to trust you um, them, and for you to trust them, right? It's, it's, it's not always reciprocal. Um, tell me about how you've been able to um, build those relationships. And I, mean, I don't expect it to be a completely finished product right now. You've only been there kind of a few months. But how, how have you been going about trying to build that relationship with your direct reports? Yeah, I mean, it, I actually feel like my relationships with my leadership team are are more um, are stronger, have a bit more depth than I would have thought after a couple of months of working together. It feels like I've been with the business longer and I feel like I'm understanding them more than, say, a very quick period of time, which is great. Um, but we're still learning. I think, obviously, the first few weeks, we actually got to spend time face-to-face, which was good. Um, yeah, because you but, went straight in and you had to go, you literally started and then there was a lockdown, wasn't it? So you were virtual, you were doing virtual. So I think our first podcast was you saying, oh yeah, it was all virtual. But it worked out okay, yeah. but so now you get to see them. They get to see um, you in your face. Yeah, so now, I mean, we're not in the office, but we are like meeting up for coffees or for lunch or having some sort of social engagements where we're catching up. And I think what I've just tried to do with those individuals is just to really understand them as not just about their business, but also their journey, what they're trying to get out of um, their career, what challenges right. they've faced, where they need support, where yeah. they want to to run you know on their own and 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 the management style here has been quite you know hands off and quite independent so I don't want to get too involved when they're so used to somebody being quite hands off but I think um mm. you know something I'm really passionate about is coaching and, and yeah. helping people to build the skills so that they you know can grow and scale their teams so that's a lot of what I've been talking about with the the leaders um I've tried to make the management meetings quite inclusive very much like any topic is up for discussion um I might bring some ideas of, look, I think maybe we could look at doing this. What do you think? And I think it's created more of a sort of conversational sort of collaborative leadership team. And, and was I everyone just noticed- collaborative? Was everyone collaborative? Because, I don't, you know, I, I know what it's like when you've managed a number of people. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to sort of pinpoint, pin, but but do you, was everyone kind of willing to be able to share ideas and be part of a management team? Or is there still sort of, you know, I know you're not going to answer this question because, I, I mean, I wouldn't answer it either, but... Um, <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. I, I would actually tell you that everybody has been collaborative to okay. an extent, but some people have had less confidence to voice things up initially. And then okay. it's taken them some weeks to kind of build that confidence. Oh, that's so it's not that they don't have the attitude of wanting to be collaborative. Um, some of them, you know, just have needed to build their confidence in yeah. this kind of new leadership setup and, group. you know, yeah. also probably spend some time with me and understand what my reactions are to things. Yeah. Um, and, and then hopefully start to feel a bit safe in that because, you know, I, I sort of try to create quite a safe environment where, you know, you can, you know, you can give your opinion. It doesn't mean that I'm always going to go with your opinion, but I'll always let you have a chat about it and we'll talk about 
how we're going to move forward and, and what I think. But in general, I tend to be quite an inclusive leader. So, you know, I think there's a good collaboration between myself and my leaders, but it's been two months. It's an evolution. Yeah. Yeah. What's your, what's your makeup in terms of the diversity in your management team? Is it pretty diverse or is it yeah. all guys, it's, all it's girls? Very, yeah. Uh, there are, oh, how many? It's about, 30 30 percent female 70 percent male no 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 actually that's worse that's not right maybe you can cut this bit (laughs) (laughs) i just can't i just can't hold on one two no it's actually 50 50 it is actually 50 50 right so we it's it's a it's a diverse um team it's 50 50 um split um and different nationalities different backgrounds different experiences so i think it's quite engaging um, i was going to ask you are you hiring managers then for when you're your hires are you hiring managers are they all you know you said senior consultants and principals are there managers you're also hiring or are you preferring to bring people at junior and build and move them up the chain to management in certain parts of the business where I've got um, senior managers that are are managing teams where there aren't managers, if there was a relevant manager, I'd definitely talk to them. But I would, you know, much prefer to bring in some homegrown talent and bring that through or bring in somebody at a principal level and grow them through. Um, I just think just that would be a better route for the business. And, and there are some great people in our business that have ambitions to be managers, but we need to right. coach them through. Right. So I don't want to block those people either. Right. I know when we spoke in episode 32 that empowering talent to succeed was something high on your list. Um, you're looking to hire regional L&D specialists for JAC. So what impact do you see that having on the business in terms of having someone that is focusing on that? And then, and I know you do a lot of training as most MDs do, but how do you see that impact in the business? I mean, I think it would just be huge added value. Um, obviously, coming from a business that's had a dedicated regional team yeah. of L&D specialists, I do see the value in it because, look, with all the best will in the world, I am not a trainer. I, yeah. I enjoy coaching people. I enjoy training. But I can't, you know, it takes me quite a lot of time to build even probably some quite basic content because yeah. I'm not trained in how do people view that how will that land with yeah yeah, how will that land with the group and obviously now you've got the situation of most training is virtual so that's different to how you present it in person so I think just having a specialist that can build a framework of training for you know experienced tires that come on board uh, eventually we'll look at um new like fresh associate consultants coming coming through that and for me one of the key areas is a leadership program um I really want to invest more in my leadership group and and to put some training in place that um, is quite extensive to make sure that they've got all the skills to be yeah. um, well-rounded managers. Yeah. And I know that's something we're talking about. And I think I think it's I think a lot more firms are investing in having someone to sit on site. And I see there's so much there's so much positives to that. And I always I know a lot of people say, well, why do you see that as positive when you do training and coaching? I I, I do because I think it, there's so much to train for consultants that graduate. I think there's a lot more graduates coming into recruitment firms now because you know, you can't take people from outside. We've got to invest locally, um, particularly within Singapore. And, you know, bringing sort of junior levels people through, you really do need to have a comprehensive training course. Yeah. And, you know, you can't always afford to be going external all the time. So I think I think for anyone out there that's perhaps learning and development, whether it's in recruitment or outside, there's not that many in recruitment. But if there's ones outside, then then they should give you a call. Is that right? Yes, they please give you a call, call me. on that. Call okay. me. Cool. I love it. 
Okay, I want to talk about just, I just want to talk briefly about kind of that failure piece, because I know at the beginning of the podcast, you said, you know, um, at first I was sort of, you know, nervous and sort of, you know, do I have the capabilities of doing it and not, and sort of doubting yourself when you knew now you look back and say, you know, I've, I've got this. Um, and I think sometimes that does sort of come into play as a woman leader. Um, how How is your relationship with sort of that failure side? You know, when you sort of make mistakes and, um, I mean, have you made mistakes minor big ones um since you've joined and and how have you sort of sort of when you look back on that how, how do you sort of reconcile that okay um that's quite a vulnerable question isn't it it's just a bit isn't it and i just about. made that up it's on the spot because I, I don't i didn't even i wrote a load of questions about failure but i didn't even think about that one okay well let's <laughs> first start with and um, no, i'm not cutting the... it out you're answering this one no, no, it's fine. I, I will answer it all. Um, so, I mean, have I made any big failures since I joined JAC? I don't think I've made anything massive. But I think, you know, at, at times, like I said, I could have had more confidence. That's not really a failure. I think there's been situations where I've made certain assumptions or I've expressed mm. opinions too quickly. Mm. And I've, you know, and even with the best will in the world and you try not to think about where you've come from, it always comes up in a conversation. Oh, my old firm did it like this. And you have to really try every day to not talk like that, but it happens from time to time. And when it happens to me, I'm like, Oh, Kirsty, just stop. Just stop. You're not there. You don't talk about that now. I find it myself. I have to, Um, I have to do the same. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think there's anything major, but probably there's been situations where I didn't really understand the full picture and I've kind of been, I'm a bit of a heart in my sleeve kind of person. So yeah. if I think something, I just say it, yeah. um, maybe like verbal diarrhea. So not, not the best at yeah, times. But people but then know that, that, that they, they are hearing what you, what you think as opposed to hiding it. Right. So it's, yeah, it's a I'm, not a, I'm not, a poli- isn't it? I'm not a political person. And I, I speak completely from the heart in everything. So, you know, my, my gut reaction is. And then sometimes I'll have to go, actually, oh, sorry, I didn't really think about that. Um, actually, I've thought yeah. about it and probably we should go down this route. So probably just a bit of that. Um, but my relationship with failure, I think, um, is is quite, quite good. I mean, like, not that I want to fail. I obviously have a fear of failure like everybody else, but I've been through some pretty tough scenarios in my life, both like personal and professional. And every time that I've been through a situation where you could be deemed as failure, I've tried to take the learn from it Mm. and move myself forward and use that as a motivator. And I'm sort of happy that I've gone through failure because I don't think I'd be the leader or the person I am without failure Mm. um, because I have to learn. I am not somebody that, you know, you can just, talk to and teach something and I'm just going to absorb it I have to experience it and I think what I'm really lucky is Adil my manager um, is very supportive of that and that's kind of his style so you know he's very hands-off and sort of saying that you go for it you you know if you're going to make a mistake I'm not going to stop you unless it's going to be so critical that it's you know going to be super impactful to the business I'm going to let you go with those things so you can learn and there's there's that's there's a confidence and safety in that that Yes, I know I can make mistakes. I'm not going to go out of my way to try, but I will make them and I need to learn from them. And that's why I also welcome that from my leaders is try something. I'd rather you tried with the right reason. And if you fail, at least we discuss that and we learn from it rather than you didn't try because you're petrified that you're going to fail. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And how do you feel that, you know, you're doing, you're doing, you've had episode 32, you're doing three podcasts with me on this, you know, we're talking about things that are quite personal and your journey and you're not holding back on, on anything. So how do you feel that it is that 
your highs, your lows are being recorded on a podcast. Some people really don't want anyone to know. They don't want to share it. It's that kind of vulnerability. How do you feel about it? That is what I really think about it. Right now, I just feel like I'm talking to you. So there's not that thought of this is going (laughs) to be listened to by hundreds of people. (laughs) No, but honestly... I mean, I, I'm, I would talk to anybody that I know in recruitment or anybody outside of recruitment like this. I'm an open book in that scenario. And if my journey can help people to have more confidence or to take a learn or, or maybe be inspired to do something different, great. Fantastic. You know, I'm not too proud to say I've made mistakes. But what do you think that's our life. biggest failure? What do you think people's biggest barriers are about talking about failure? Because not everyone will say, like we've just said on this podcast, we can't really count. I mean, I know we can count, like I can count pretty basic, right? But if you saw, you know, when I hear my kids talking about mass problems, I just, it's just over my head. It's just not for me. Um, and we've been pretty honest about that. And, and we have confidence in our own selves for other things that we're hopefully good at, that we, we, we don't beat ourselves up, right, about that. But not everyone can kind of be honest enough about the things they're not great or things that they've made mistakes at. What are the biggest barriers for people, do you think, to talk about failure? I think it's a cultural thing. People don't expect Mm. you to be vulnerable about talking about failure. Failure is seen as a real negative thing and we need to change the mindset of that I mean everybody fails and yeah, you know even learning, just doesn't it I like, think you know people learn I mean just being a mum now my kids are constantly learning failing stepping back up you know their failures are very different to mine but you know yeah. they're still learning that's part of life if you try to ignore it and also I think if you're not open that you've been you've been through failure I don't know how approachable and how relatable you actually are and how you can create a deep buy-in with your people and connection because you know I I don't want to hear the rosy or the rose-tinted glasses version of what's going on I want to hear the warts and all I did this this went wrong this was my error this is what I'm doing different um I I don't want you know the perfect scenario because life isn't perfect no, I agree. Now, I'm going to go back to a subject on hiring, which I probably didn't put it in the right order, but ho hum, that's all fine. Um, we talked about the hiring side. What common themes, you've spoke to loads of recruiters, obviously to hire mm. eight, you must have, you know, kissed a few frogs along the way. Yeah. So what have been some of the themes um, with those recruiters on why they've even entertained a conversation? Like, you know, dish, dish some dirt for us. Okay. So so I think some of the main things of why I've seen people looking out are um, some are COVID related. So they've been waiting for a promotion for a significant period of time and nothing's Ah, coming. So they're now at the point where they're kind of like, well, look, the market has recovered to a greater extent and nothing is materializing. So I'm going to start looking out. Oh, so being Um, promised it, but then they just, even though they've perhaps achieved it the the company haven't necessarily been true to their word and promoted them they've held off yeah so yeah it's, it's kind of delayed and delayed some people their um bonus scheme has changed or it's not changed but then parts of the bonus are now not being paid out and it's it's related to covid but you know there's no 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 tangible reason given to the oh that's interesting not heard that one Ooh, so i'd love to know who that is i've had the podcast <laughs> 
<laughs> um, I've heard that one. And then there are some people that are maybe um, either in a generalist firm that obviously would like to become specialized, but don't have that opportunity in their firm. Or I've met a lot of people that are in a specialization, but they want to do something different. Like I know I've met so many people that are in, say, a more traditional recruitment sphere, like accounting or HR that want yeah. to go into tech or digital yeah. or yeah. healthcare. And a lot of people are not willing to give them the chance to oh, they can't do it internally, right? No, they can't do it internally, right? So, um, which to me just seems silly. If you've got a good recruiter who's got a passion to do something different, there's only they're going to leave eventually if you can't give them opportunities to give it to them. But before blaming the kind of management for not doing that, a lot of the time, as you know, people don't tell you that they want to do that. (laughs) No, they'd rather leave to, to. They'd rather leave. And then have the com- the difficult conversation of I'd like to move internally to yeah. blah blah's team. So isn't, that's isn't very all, true, right? Isn't always kind of the boss. What other things have come up? Um, it's not salary I mean, then. It's not salary stuff necessarily. I know you said the commission thing, but I mean there are some crazy salaries going around right I bet now. For tech, be, right? I mean, yeah, for tech and stupid. even for healthcare, there are some crazy salaries, but. I mean, I think that's been going on for for a good nine, ten months now. So I don't think that's particularly different. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm just interested to see what, what people – so what are you doing to get your brand out there to show the market you're hiring other than – I mean, is it just the LinkedIn posts and stuff like that? Or are you doing anything else different? I mean, mainly it's just the LinkedIn stuff. It's LinkedIn. It's it's our LinkedIn. It's my LinkedIn. It's the referrals. Um uh, I'm also going back through, you know, who I've met, you know, over the last four or five years and like going through my LinkedIn thinking, right, who did I connect with? Well, you know, did we right. have that coffee like two years ago? What's going on with that person now? So you are doing um, a, a real sort of strategy on that then. It's the, the dedicated time in the week and a strategy on yeah. hiring as opposed because I know that's one thing that managers, Billy managers struggle with is how do I dedicate that time of hiring and, and you know, calling people regularly like a candidate cycle you would, would do with your candidates, but don't always put the time or strategy around that? Yeah, I mean, I, I spend, you know, at least half a day, if not more each week on my hiring strategy, just because it's wow. so important. And what I'm trying to instill in my managers, and I think a lot of them are, are doing really well at this is, is that they spend, you know, a couple of hours each week on this as well to be proactive. We've obviously got um uh some talent acquisition individuals who work for us oh, really? um, that cover the region oh, right. and give us some good referrals but um i also look for for my own as well um especially cuz in singapore our, our talent acquisition are based in tokyo and oh, they have some really good network but obviously in singapore we've now generally got a strong knowledge of who's who so it's just about being proactive and I think what's good is you know um, a deal already had quite a lot of conversations with individuals in the market before I joined right Fahad Fahad has a good network as well so he's got it's not actually yeah yeah um, it's not actually difficult for us to engage in conversations with people but um, you know not everybody is ready for for the vision of where we're going right now and I think there are quite a lot of people that I'm seeing that I suspect in six months' time are going to be like, okay, right, Kirsty, right. can I join now? Right, so having That's that fine. constant kind of call. So for those that don't aren't so familiar with the deal, who's Kirsty's um, boss, he also was on Talent Talk to Asia as episode 38. So 
I would suggest you look at I love that. I love that episode with the deal. I just love it. He's the most honest guy. He's just what you see is what you get. It was like no, didn't hold anything back. It's brilliant. I love that. I love that podcast. Um, just talking about kind of your brand. You've come from page personnel. You did lots of LinkedIn posts there. You were really big on the you know empowerment and diversity and inclusion and how you ran your business. And now you come over to JAC. So how are you kind of positioning your brand kind of externally and internally? You know, how has that changed to perhaps when you were working at Page Personnel, if it's changed at all? I thought about this one um, a lot. It it is a hard question. I don't actually think that my brand has changed. So um, I think that one of the things that was strong about me at Page is that I had this unique brand and that's why I was, you know, trying to position this out there and create content and create engagement. That wasn't something that Page necessarily asked me to do all the time. It's something that, you know, I enjoyed doing. Um, I got good feedback from people that, you know, I was approachable, that I shared things in a way that they understood and could relate to. And Mm. that, you know, some people found that, I don't know, inspiring, created the thought that they could do something different, etc. So I think I've just ported that to JAC because that not isn't a page brand that's a Kirsty brand and that's who I am and I think I've just gotten more comfortable with that right we're going to go on to the we're getting near to the end of um the podcast uh, we're getting on to rapid fire round so okay. we always know we're at the end uh, what one piece of advice would you give to a recruiter that's struggling to consistently achieve targets and I, I say that you know very intentionally consistently not you know mm-hmm. oh, I had a great month the rest of the few months are rubbish. So what can they be doing that just ensures that they are hitting targets every single month? Yeah, every month, every quarter, every year. Okay. The don't blame the market. <laughs> Do not blame the market, okay? Yeah, Take a step back tools. and look at the reason you're struggling. So look at your conversions and figure out where things are not connecting. Is it that, you know, when you've had a good month, you're not doing enough business developments, so you don't have any pipe? Or is it that overall, like your conversions are not strong? So sometimes, you know, the timeline for closing jobs means that only every couple of months you get a good conversion rather than every single month. Are you balancing too many high value placements that take longer versus low? So I think just take time to analyze, do it, and then speak to your manager about what they see, and then put some measurable goals in place. So sort of, I would call them smart KPIs that can lead you to the right outcome, but not like 15, just one or two that you could do differently over a period of three months that you could consistently see an increase in that. But generally, consistency is normally because you're not doing something. Either you spent too much time on candidates or too much time on clients or not enough time on jobs. It's spinning all the plates together that gets consistency. And that's the best recruiters. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. You can always look at market or haven't got the right candidates, but you know, there are always some people that just consistently make money, right? It's yeah. We've got um we've got an upcoming I'm sorry, no, it's never rapid fire out. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. Um, we've got our next, I know the recording when it goes out, the, the event would have happened. But next week for Women in Recruitment Asia, we've got Jane Jane um, coming on from Connexus talking about kind of diary management, stuff like that, which seems really simple, right? It just seems, ugh, you know, but actually what you've just said is all about diary management, is is how you're kind of balancing your candidates, your clients, you're doing that consistently. And it's got to be in the diary and it's got to be funded up and there's got to be a process. Yeah, absolutely. And she's going to do sort of a live demo on that. And I just think, we, you might look at that and think, well, it's kind of simple, but actually I think it is just the most important thing and not everyone understands how that actually works in practice. So I found that quite interesting. Anyway, next question. What one thing, what one thing can you not be without at work? 
Wow. Okay, I'm not going to say something cheesy. It's just no. the practicals, don't, right? No, I need no, say, do, 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 say, whatever you, say whatever you like. No, no, I'm going to say I, I want coffee. Like coffee is essential yeah, for What kind of coffee are we talking job. about here? What kind of, what kind of oh, coffee? Cappuccino, um, cafe latte. I want a skinny cafe latte and I need my mobile. Skinny cafe got, latte. I've, I've got my skinny cafe latte and my mobile. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Everything else is good. If I've managed to do my workout as well before work, that's even better. That's, I mean, it's just about starting your day. Like your tools yeah. are you, right? Our job is great. You just need you. You've got the knowledge. As long as you're able to contact somebody, you can do it, right? Um, but yeah, I need my coffee. Otherwise, it's a bit of a disaster. Don't and talk it, to me if I haven't had my coffee. <laughs> and that's that exercise thing, bringing that in. Does that clear your mind? Is that something that's a consistent thing that's helped you with your, with you know, on your journey with GAC? Because you know, it the first I think it definitely has. Exercise. Yeah, no, I mean, like, obviously, I'm, I've still got a long way to go. But um, I've, I've been trying to commit to this exercise regime now for about two and a half, three months. And so my husband and I go early in the morning to these kind of horrible hit boot camps and get shouted at for basically an hour <laughs> but it's great you know like uh you feel invigorated <laughs> afterwards and I think for me because you know my job is very busy and I can work till late in the night I just find that when I wake up in the morning it kind of just clears my mind and refreshes yeah. me and even though like my, my body might be a bit tired my mind is ready to go um yeah. so I'm really thankful that we started that yeah I think that's a really good advice for people as well though when you know, you're doing a role like you're doing, whether it's MD, whether it's a senior consultant, principal consultant, researcher, associate consultant, whatever. It's a really busy day. It's very taxing because you're talking to talking to a high volume candidates and clients. It is taxing and even more so if you're doing it from home and doing Zoom calls. So I think bringing in that exercise regime or whatever it might be, it might just be going for a walk, you know, taking time out, reflecting, meditating, whatever it might be, I think is just it's it's kind of just keeping your battery full than waiting for it to be kind of depleted, right? So I think I think it's really important. I want to say thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Um, I think it's been w wonderful to kind of follow you in that journey with JAC and that big transition that you've made. And and just the next, the last episode that we will do was just be, you know, what does that future look like? What changes have there been? And kind of the stuff you've talked about, how that's been kind of materialising. Um, so I really appreciate your time on that. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So if you'd like to get in contact with Kirsty from JAC Recruitment, then please check out the notes on this episode where her contact details can be found and details of anyone mentioned on the show. Listen out for the third and final episode, which is part of a three-part series on her journey. So please check that out. Um, this podcast is brought to you by The Career Establishment, which, as you all know, team building, leadership development, um, executive strength coaching, and a learning consultancy business. So I'm situated in Singapore. I service the Asia-Pac region, and we offer customised facilitative training programmes that help build a foundation of skills, competencies, behaviours, and confidences across a number of topics. So thanks for listening today and take care out there. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.